0: Before before we get started, I have have to read you this text message that I got from Britta. So Graham was exposed to COVID. He's fine. He doesn't have it yet, but he's exposed, and so he's not here this morning. And so they're watching online, and I announced that you can go to the back after church and go outside to get a shirt. And she said, you told everyone in your intro to go outside to get a T-shirt. Graham took that as you telling him to go outside. He came to me and said, Daddy said to go outside. I need to get my shoes on. Haha. Sometimes, if you want a lesson of online church not always perfectly translating, online church is a beautiful thing, it's nice that we have it, it's never quite the real thing, all right? So let that be a lesson. Um, right. one, one more disclaimer before we start, this, this morning's sermon is one of the few times, I, I do this pretty rarely, but we won't actually encounter the, the sermon text, the Galatians sermon text, until the very, very end of our sermon today. And so we're working a little bit backwards. And so if you're wondering, where's the Galatians? It's coming, I promise you. We're not, we're not totally skimping out on our, on our Galatians. We're in that, in that series still, but we're doing things a little different this morning. Uh, this morning, I want to talk about a topic that is very, very near and dear to my heart. And I think something that is important uh, and, and a very deeply, like, hard, theologically nerdy truth. Um, and, and that's this. Um, how to get a good night's sleep. I'm, I'm totally not, yeah, someone said no kids, amen. Right? <laughs> I, I, I'm not doing this, you know, because I happen to be a parent of two under three and, uh, and trying to figure this out myself, you know, that's totally what it would be. The pastor didn't write a sermon this week. He was just researching how to get sleep as a dad and didn't have anything else. And so, no, but I want to talk about getting a good night's sleep because I think that we all need sleep. Who here feels like they could use some extra sleep this morning? Like if you had the, ch- yeah, all the hands... And the world go up, right? Sleep is something that's incredibly important. And sure, maybe maybe the Bible doesn't have like a, a sleep guide. But I think that sleep is one of the most important things for our health and well-being. And so this is like a health PSA for you. I want to talk about how you might get a good night's sleep. And the reason I know it's important is because the statistics don't lie. We as a culture are awful at sleep. They did a study on the the company that, you know, Mattress Firm. I don't know if you know Mattress Firm. They commissioned a a study on sleep in 2020, and they do this every year. Um, We just don't have the data for the the last two years yet. They're kind of behind. But in 2020, they did a study, and they found that the average adult sleeps for five and a half hours a night. By the way, that's down 30 minutes from 2019. So only two years later, we went from six to five and a half hours, and we're progressing downward and downward. My children, when they're in college, are going to sleep like three minutes a night. It's going to be awful, right? And here's the thing. We, according to every viable source medically, we need, as adults, somewhere between seven to nine hours of good sleep in order for us to continue to function in a very healthy way. And so we're not measuring up, Right? If you're a college student, by the way, that number average, I think, goes down to like three. And you wonder why college is hard for so many people. They're not getting any sleep. We need it. Right. So if we're not getting sleep, well, what, what are the reasons? You know, why, why do we not get sleep? It's probably worth asking. If I'm going to teach you how you should get you know, some good sleep, maybe we talk about why we don't get sleep. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why we might not get sleep. It could be a whole bunch of different things. Maybe, you know, maybe it's an, an issue of snoring for you. Anybody hear snore? Anybody have a significant other? Everybody close your eyes. <laughs> if your significant other snores, raise your hand. <laughs> I snore like a banshee. It's awful. Like about probably two out of ten nights, you know, I would wake up and I'm pretty sure like my, Britta's long gone. She's somewhere else in the house because that's where sleep is to be had. It's not anywhere near where I am right? And so maybe snoring is something that keeps you away from it. And, you know, my advice for that would just, you know, seek medical attention. There are things you can do. There's sleep apnea and all kinds of different things that could be the cause of that. But maybe that's, maybe that's the reason. It, it could be a whole bunch of other things. Maybe it's dreams. Anybody here have nightmares that are frequent? Everybody have one particular nightmare that they can't figure out that, like, keeps coming back? Like, every, I dream that I'm falling and I never stop, right? Like, nightmares could stop your sleep. There's a whole bunch of things about that, maybe, that you know, are worth studying. So, if you have nightmares, that could be a reason you're on sleep. Maybe you're a sleepwalker. I had a friend in college who was a sleep eater. Like, at night, he would go and he would open the fridge and it would eat like a whole tub of mayonnaise. And, like, just because it's just like whatever, you know, they're sleep eating. So, they just grab and would eat. And in the morning, he'd wake up like deathly ill and there'd be like mayonnaise all over the floor in the kitchen. You sleep eater. That's a real thing. Apparently not as common, but it could happen. So there's all kinds of reasons why we, we don't get sleep. By, by the way, it, yeah, dreaming is probably an important one. Did you ever think about this? This is just unique. Did you ever wonder why in Scripture, when God has something important to say to people, he always does it in dreams? Have you, have you ever looked at, like, how often in Scripture, it's crazy how often in God's word, like, really important things are communicated through dreams. Just last week, we talked about Abraham, right? And as he fell into his slumber, the Lord went through, like, the, the Lord talks to Abraham in dreams all the time. The Lord speaks to, to Moses through dreams, right? They're, they're falling into his sleep. Mary and Joseph, right? Like, as they're, they're, sometimes the angel encounters them directly, but sometimes it's in their sleep. Why would God, like, I don't know about you, if you have something important you want to communicate to your spouse... Like, when they're, like, right at this point on the couch at 11 o'clock at night, is that the time that you bring up the thing that is, like, no, right? More likely, you would, like, shake them the work, and you go, listen, this is an important thing. Are, are you hearing me? Like, their head kind of nods, listen, right? Don't slap your spouse. Someone's going to go home and be like, Pastor, no. Right? But the God doesn't do that. He, he does it in the midst of dreams. You ever wonder why that is? You know, Hebrews, Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. Maybe God speaks to people in their dreams in Scripture because when you're dreaming, it's when you're most likely to be open to maybe some of the things that you hope for. and Maybe you're most convicted of and certain of things unseen. Right? You're most open to some of the things that you might hope for and most convicted of things unseen. Faith, you know, the reality of, of natural law kind of gets suspended in dreams, right? I can fly in most of my dreams, which is super cool. And some of them are so vivid, I wake up and I'm like, ah. right? but, but in our dreams, like we're at a state where we're kind of, we've suspended the part of our, of our lives and our world that says, no, that can't be, right? And we're kind of in this open space so maybe the Lord comes... That's just a the theory on the side, but maybe that's why he chooses to do that. But yet our dreams can rob us of our sleep as well. Right? And there's a whole bunch of good reasons why we don't sleep, but I think there's a bigger thing than sleep. And I think part of, part of why we have to understand is why we don't get sleep is directly related to why we don't get sleep's cousin, rest. Right? Sleep and rest are not the same thing. The way I know this How many of you have had, have laid down to go to bed, you've got like nine hours till you have to wake up, but you just can't fall asleep? Like, you have the chance to sleep, you're tired, you want to sleep, but you can't. Why? Because things are keeping you up. There's things that are going on that are churning, and they're preventing you because you don't just not have sleep, you don't have rest. And rest is so much more important than sleep. It's the fundamental thing, right? You could do without a night's sleep, but man, if we don't get rest, our bodies will just self-destruct over time. And maybe the bigger question is, what are the things in life that stop us from getting rest? Now we're getting away from silly stuff like snores and dreams. We're talking about some of the real-world things. What are some of the things in your life that are preventing your rest? Maybe for you it's work. And I don't just mean the hours. I don't just mean the countless hours that you have to work. I have all these meetings. I mean the part of your brain that can't turn off when you're not actually working because you're thinking about the thing tomorrow that's not done yet, right? Like, for some of us, work is never finished, right? One of the beautiful things about pastoral ministry is I have pretty flexible hours. Like, if I need to not be here from, like, 10 to 11 on a Wednesday, great. But then I'm doing that, I'm making that up at like 9 p.m. on that night when I get home, All right? The downside is, this never shuts off. Like, this brain is always on Stowe Presbyterian Church. I could be on, on a beach on vacation, and I'm like, you know, when I get back, we've got to do that, that thing with the session, and I just, oh, yeah, have minutes, and... And, you know, we had that initiative that we're getting started. Like, there's always a churning. And so maybe that's you. Maybe you can't find rest because work is just kind of always consuming you, right? You're always thinking about the next thing that you've got to do. And, man, there's never a shortage of stuff to do. Maybe that's you. Maybe it's just the pace of life, right? That's kind of where I'm at right now. Work isn't killing my rest, but, but the pace of life is, it's between the work and the kids and, and my work and, and Britta's work, and then we have to go to these, you know, seven weddings and, and all these things. And it's just like you look at your calendar and you, and you just don't have rest. You're never at peace. Right? Maybe that's you. Maybe it's the pace of life. Maybe you battle anxiety. Maybe that's you. Maybe you, you, if you have nothing in the world that you should be worrying about right now, maybe your head... That's when your head starts up, right? Have you ever been there? Like you're sitting at home, you're like, man, like nothing. I'm good. The next two weeks are pretty easy. And then your head just is like, oh, you need me to make up something to worry about? (laughs) I got something. Here, Here it comes. And then your rest gets snuffed out because anxiety just holds so heavy, right? There are so many things in this world that prevent us from getting rest. Maybe you have a physical ailment that prevents your rest Maybe you have emotional trauma that prevents your rest. Maybe you live with people in your family that are robbing you of your rest. And I don't mean like a toddler who robs me of sleep. I mean people who emotionally just drain you of every ounce of rest that you could possibly have. Maybe that's you. If it is, don't look at the family member next to you right now. (laughs) Don't don't do it. Just straightforward. Stare right at me. Make eye contact. We're good. So we have all these things that rob us of our rest. Ultimately, I think here's one of the biggest things that robs us of our rest. It's because we try to be like God. We don't don't do it in big ways, right? We're not megalomaniacs. But but in small ways, we try to be like God. We're always trying to act as if we have it all together, right? right? How many of you spend an inordinate amount of energy trying to make sure that you present yourself a certain way to the people in your, in your life and spheres of influence, right? You've got to know the stuff and the conversation that you're in. You've got to try, maybe you're not the smartest guy in the room, but you've got to at least make sure you're not the dumbest, right? Or appear to be. Maybe you are the dumbest in the room. I've been the dumbest in a room many times. But I'm not going to let anybody in that room know that. Right? We, we, we try to be something that we're not. We try to do ourselves these things. Maybe, you know, we're worried about pleasing people. Maybe you're a people pleaser and that robs you of your rest, right? Because we try to make sure we need people to like, even to love us. We need people to approve of us, right? We have to, maybe we have to make our own future. Maybe that's the thing that robs you of your rest, Right? Maybe you're looking, maybe you're in your mid-40s or 50s and you have kids and you're looking at your 401k and the numbers aren't adding up and this year's not helping one bit for that, right? And you're going, I don't know. My future is in jeopardy. And my kids' future. I can't rest in the midst of that. Right? So we've all these things in the world. Do you ever realize just how much the world that you're in just sucks every ounce of rest out of you? And so my, my, my promise was, we're going to talk about how we get a better night's sleep, how we get some rest. So how, how do we do that? I think it's worth starting, you know, this, this is a, an exercise. Sometimes this brings up poor things and poor exegesis, but every once in a while, a good thing to do is to, if you're looking for something on rest, maybe just go to, go to the Bible and do a word search for rest, and let's see, what are some of the passages in Scripture that suggests or talk in any way about rest. And, and here's one in Matthew eleven twenty-five through 30, that talks about rest. It says this, "'At that time Jesus declared, "'I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, "'that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding "'and revealed them to little children. "'Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. "'All things have been handed over to me by my Father, "'and no one knows the Son except the Father, "'and no one knows the Father except the Son.'" And anyone to whom the Son has chosen to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. That sounds like me. How about you? And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How do you get rest? You go to the one who has it and promises to give it to you. Amen? Are we done? No. me <laughs> the cheating answer. Pastor talked about sleep. How do I get sleep? He said, go to God. What does that mean? You go to God who has rest and promises to give it to you. All right, we're here. We're in church. I'm here, God. What, what do I do with that? You have rest. Can I have some? Like, Are we just supposed to hear all hold our hands out and wait for the Lord to drop rest into our laps? How does it actually work? Right? Scripture sometimes is so unclear. It seems like a passage. It's just like, yeah, God is our source of rest, but, but, but what does that mean? Well, we, we have a hint. The very first verse gives us a hint. It says, you've hidden these things from the wise and revealed them to little children. So whatever this finding rest is, I'm not really sure what it's all about, but, it, but in some way, whatever it is, it has to be simple enough that a kid can get it in their head. Because you've revealed it, you've withheld it from the wise and the learned, and you've given it to the, to the children, to the simple child. So whatever it is. And so then, you know, I think one of the, one of the most famous passages, let's do the Google thing again. What does the Bible have to say about kids? Well, one of the most famous ones is in Luke 18. It shows up in a couple, different, couple different places as well, as well, in Matthew and in Mark. Uh, it says this, Now they were bringing infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to to him, called them to him, saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Some translations actually would say, shall not enter my rest. Ah, okay. So whatever this rest is, It's so easy that a kid can get it. And then not only that, but apparently we're supposed to act like children to get the rest. So for me as a pastor, that would mean that I go home today and I just start throwing tantrums all the time. And if I do that, God will give me rest. Right? I don't know. Probably not. It's worth a shot, but probably not. My kid might look at me funny. But I'll probably leave and go to Target. But that's not it. So, so then, if we're supposed to be like kids, if only, if only way that we inherit God's rest is, is by being like children, well then, how like children? Because children are multifaceted, right? Like, I can't just say to you, everybody here act like a child. That would not end well, right? So in what way are we supposed to be like children to, to get the rest of God? Well, I studied this, this passage, um, I, you know, I was doing a, a course on Matthew, and I studied this with a professor in undergrad, and, and we were talking about this idea of, of the children. And here, here, here were his kind of three things way back in like 2007 uh, that he said. And here, here's kind of three possibilities of what it might mean for us to be like children to inherit God's rest. It says children have these three things. Number one, innocent trust. Number two, easy love. And number three, a willingness to risk. His words, not mine. All right. Those are the three kind of things that he suggested. All right. Innocent trust, easy love, and a willingness to risk. What do I mean by that? I see innocent trust of a child every single day. We, we go to the playground, I don't know, where we had the Easter event. If you've ever been to Silver Springs, you know, there's a beautiful kind of huge ADA playground. And Graham will go to the very top kind of second story of the structures, and there will be like an edge, like this, but like, like three, four more feet down. And like, he'll be running, and he'll see me, and he'll just like run, like off the edge. Why? Because he, he trusts that I'll catch him. And, and I watch his, his little mind. He doesn't even think about it. That's terrifying. Can you imagine us doing that as adults? Like, Julie, come right here, and I'm just like, no. But he just runs. There's no, like, I can see in his eyes. He is not even contemplating, like, is he going to? No, he just books it and runs. Right? When I pick him up, he'll leap off of stairs. He'll, he'll jump off of the couch. When, in the morning, when he's really happy, when he wakes up, I'll come in, and he'll be standing on his bed, and he'll be like, downstairs, Daddy? And just, like, off the bed. Why? Because Graham has an innocent, like a blind, innocent trust. And blind's the wrong word. We shouldn't have blind trust in God because God calls us to know and to open our eyes and to, to see for ourselves. But this innocent trust that, that no matter what, like dad's gonna catch me. And so he jumps. And somewhere along the way, when we grow up, we lose that trust. And maybe we come to know Christ and we become Christians. And we say, Lord, I trust you with my life. But man, do we really? Do we have that level of an innocent, childlike trust when it comes to our Father in heaven? Where we say, yeah, I'm I'm going to, you're calling me to jump. I'm going to jump. Because I know you're going to catch me. I'm not worried. I'm ready to go. Here we go. God's got us. Even as a church, are we as a church trusting enough to take steps knowing that the Lord will have us? Right, innocent trust. Second one: easy love. One of the cool things I'm going to keep coming back to kids because we're talking about kids. One of the cool things that, that you notice about little kids is little kids do not discriminate. Right? Graham will play with any kid that's willing to give him the time of day and not run away. He doesn't care who that kid is. He doesn't care what that kid's race is. He doesn't care if it's a boy or a girl. He doesn't care what that kid's parents do for a living and what their economic status is. He doesn't care who his, that kid's parents voted for in the last election, partially because he doesn't know what elections are. Right? But he just, man, he just loves that kid. When I first, I remember in, when I lived in Germany, we moved to this new town. And, and I made, you know, uh, the first day we were unloading the truck and, and there was a, a kid in the street that ended up becoming a guy named Steven. He ended up becoming my best friend. Um, but they were unloading and he was there. I have like a weird pictorial image of us playing in that truck, like in the entrance of the, the back of the truck as they're unloading stuff. And, and I'm pretty sure within that day, I was inviting st- like him to our, our house to like eat or do whatever. right? It was probably even like a, hey, uh, uh, mom, can, 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 what's your name? Steve. Can Steven come play? Easy love, right? Man, kids just dish it out. I guarantee you there are those of you in this congregation, my kid has just run up and hugged you. Like Just because, he doesn't know who you are. You could be an evil stranger. He doesn't know, he just hugs. We actually have to teach our kids stranger danger. Because they're so intrinsically easy-loving that they'll just go with anybody. Easy love. Maybe we lost a childlike wonder. See, we evaluate people by all these criteria before we decide whether or not they're worthy of our love and our affection and our care. Ah, Easy love. And a willingness to risk. I remember growing up... um, I grew up in a very small, like, rural area. And Stephen and I, as we got older, you know, we'd ride our bikes all around. And I grew up in the time still where, like, you just, my parents didn't know where I was. I was out somewhere, right? And, like, come, when the streetlights came on, we had to be within, like, sight of the house or within earshot, you know? And so we're riding our bikes, and we would find, like, there'd be construction sites that stuff had been left. And, yeah, you know, we'd, like, we would build these ramps for our bikes that, like, got us insane amounts of air, Right? And then would land in like a thing of gravel or something. And I remember, like, I think back now to some of the things I did as a kid. And I'm like, not even like, I didn't even do it for money. Like, if someone today was like, I will give you 100000 no, maybe. But like, I just did it to do it. Like, there was no reward, there was no, no fame involved. I did some stupid, risky things. And the fact that I'm alive is a miracle based on how I played. Right? Like, we'd go into the woods and we'd just disappear for like, hours at a time we built our own tree houses and and various things and man sure as a kid had a willingness to risk a lot i probably put myself in harm's way as a kid every single day because as a kid you think you're invincible and then we grow up and we learn that we're not invincible but one of the things we do is we we take it too far and we lose our willingness to risk we don't risk as individuals, and we don't risk as a church. We don't say, you know what? I'm going to do that. Because I think it sounds like the Lord would find that to be a good idea. But what if it doesn't work? Oh, well, that's a risk. Right? Instead, we grow up, and we play it safe. And over time, we lose some of that childlike wonder. And so, you know, those are three things. Innocent trust, easy love, willingness to risk. Is that what God is talking about when he says, you know, you have to be like little kids? You know, I don't know. I think they're pretty good guesses. But I'm not 100% sure. Um, But there's something that is helpful. When we look at Luke 18 that we just read, you know, this idea of let the children come to me, for for you have to be like, like kids to inherit the kingdom. Sometimes it's worth looking at where in Scripture God puts a specific passage. And if you look at this this passage in Luke 18, 15 and on, it's sandwiched between two really well-known ones. The first is the the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the second is the parable of the rich young ruler. So what's the message of the Pharisee and the tax collector? The Pharisee is standing up, and he's... Oh, thank God that I am not like that guy, right? And he kind of is high and mighty and hoity-toity on his, on his high horse. Meanwhile, the Pharisee is the one who's in the back, and he's beating his breast. He says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right? He doesn't even think he deserves to be there, let alone stand. Right? And then the rich young ruler comes to the Lord and says, you know, I, I have... Kept all the rules. I've done all these things, right? As Paul is talking about law versus grace. I am the law keeper. I've checked off every box. What must I do? Like, what's left for me to do? What else is on the list to get to, to where I need to go? And the Lord responds with, you know, surrender everything. Give it all up. Give away all your stuff. And just come follow me. Just surrender it. Lay it all at my feet and walk away and come with me. Right? And, and the rich young ruler can't, can't bring himself to do it. Man, the first guy, the tax, the tax collector, you know, he, he does two things. He, he admits his need. And then he asks for Mercy. And in the Rich Young Ruler parable, we learn you know, to, to, to get eternal life, to enter God's rest, man, you ought to surrender it all. I think that's one of the most helpful things to think about as we look to find rest. If you're feeling like rest is not a part of your reality, I would start there. Admit that you can't get anywhere on your own. Ask the Lord for mercy. And then Surrender. It up, right? It's easier said than done. It's really hard to surrender things. It's really hard to ask for mercy. It would take a lot for us to be able to do those things really well. I think one of the things it would take is the other coin of the analogy of a child, right? Because here's the truth. Why, why is Graham easily able to leap why is Graham able to easily love? And why is he willing to risk things? Because Graham has a dad and a mom who he knows love him. Who he knows can't, he, can't, he can't let us down to a point where we'll stop loving him. And he knows that when he jumps, I'll catch. Can you imagine like a seven-foot drop at a playground and Graham's like leaping and I go... no, I would never do that. Not only because CPS would be called, but because I love my son. Right? For us to be able to do those things, and by doing, I mean to not do things, right? to stop doing and to ask the Lord to step in, it would mean that, man, the Lord would have to be our father. Huh. You know, last week we talked about this analogy of Abraham and the promise that is, that is given to Abraham that is then carried through. And, and chapter 3 in Galatians ends with that promise. But then when we get to chapter 4, we get one more little tidbit of explanation from Paul. And he says, this is, I mean this, right? When I'm talking about this promise. What is the promise? What are we getting? I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. He is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, so that we may cry, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God tells us that we to him are like actual children. And if you are a parent, you understand the infinite boundless love for a child that is not contingent on what they do. Some of you have kids who are not doing what you think they should be doing. Young kids and adult kids, right? Do you love them any less? No. Paul is saying, here's the promise. We are, through the power of the cross, Christ's children. He is our Father. Abba is like the the endearment term in the original language. It's, It's like saying Daddy. It's not Father, it's Daddy. We, through The power of the cross, through the Holy Spirit, we are made heirs in Christ. And because we're heirs, we have an inheritance that is due us. Not because we've earned it, but because it's been given to us. Because we were adopted. Probably all of you know somebody who has adopted somebody or is adopted. Are they any less that person's kid? No. You belong to God as his child. You are his, and he is your father, and our role is to come to the kingdom like little children, that when it comes to God, we can have an innocent trust and an easy love. We can trust him, and so we can move forward because we know that even if we stumble, he picks us up, Even if we should die, he holds securely our future in our hands. His insurance policy is better than any 401k you have, no matter how well it's doing, even if it's beating the current inflation trends. Trusting in him is better. You can have an easy love Because you were loved as someone not worthy, which means we can in turn love those who are not worthy. We can not worry about what we have to do to perform, to look good. We can shed the weight of trying to be everything to everyone and just be who we are and allow the Lord to work in the midst of that. And we can trust that even if everyone else in this world stops loving us for it, he won't because he's our daddy. To me, this was one of the most compelling things when I became a new Christian because my history of dads is pretty sullen. I have two father figures, a dad and a stepdad, both of which, if they came in here today, I would probably shun for quite a while. It would take every fiber of my being to extend grace to either of those guys. So for me, the idea of father is different, but, but God is not like that kind of father. How do you get rest? You go to your daddy and you lay it all down. You shed the weight of trying to be perfect. You shed the weight of the pain that you're bearing and you allow him to take it from you. You take the emotional turmoil that you're going through, the struggles in your life that you're going through, the physical pain, and you lay it at his feet and you say, Abba, Father, take it. I'm yours. And you surrender it all. Because guess what? You have an inheritance waiting. You have a trust fund in heaven. Whatever you think you need on this earth, you do not need it. Let's pray. God, we thank you that through you, and only through you, we might find true rest. We thank you that that is your promise to us through Abraham reiterated by Paul in Galatians to us, your people. Lord, that in the midst of this world and the suffering in it and the the things that keep us from rest, you promise us that we are heirs to your kingdom. We are sons and daughters, that through Christ Jesus, our status is the same as his when we get to heaven. We thank you that you promise to prepare a place and inheritance for us so that whatever we have on this earth that we aspire to, when we leave it because we can't take it, there is something waiting for us on the other side that is better than anything we can ask for or imagine. Lord, we praise you for your Holy Spirit that applies this truth to our lives. And we ask that as we go home, that we might be reminded daily that you are our dad. With loving arms ready to catch us when we jump. Well, this morning we pray that every one of us would have the boldness, the courage, and the conviction to leap wherever you call us to go, as individual believers and as the body that is Stowe Presbyterian Church. Help us get there as we surrender to you. We love you and we praise you. And all those people said, Amen.